third wheel. Third wheel. Welcome to the third wheel. With me, me, and you. What was um, art like for you at school? Did you do art at school? Yep. My dad was an artist, so I thought um, I was an artist because he was an artist. Mm. So I took every art class. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think I was like good at it. I just thought I was good at it. It's like really, I, I figured if my dad could do it, I could do it. Mm. So I used to look at what I did as good. Mm. I, don't, I don't know if it was. I don't know. Actually, that's a lie. I think everyone's, every kid's a good artist. Mm. Um, I heard someone say it before, you know, like this idea of, um, she said that every kid believes they're an artist mm. when they're kind of born and, you know, their parents give them a crayon and say, draw on something and go over there and don't bother me. Um, and then you get to school and then people slowly start telling you that your dog doesn't look like a dog and then you stop believing that you're an artist. So that's kind of where you start to like break kids' imagination when you tell them mm. that their stuff doesn't look like stuff or isn't things. Mm. Um, so, no, every kid's an artist. Mm. Yeah. Did you have a similar experience that, that with, with art that you like felt you were good? Yeah, I think... I think uh, yeah, I always, 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 I always enjoyed it. Mm. Um, my parents, my parents encouraged my sister and I to to make art a lot mm. from from early childhood. My mum, when I was young, my mum wasn't working, and she there was a period where she wasn't working. She was just painting and making sculptures mm. all the time. So we get home and she'd have stuff ready for us to, you know, do pastel portraits and wow. make like huts out of bamboo and just mm. do all sorts of stuff mm. using you know clay, bone carving. Mm. Yeah, incredible. So Are you an artist? Sorry? Were you an artist? Um, no. Um, I've never really considered myself an artist. Um, I think back and my my dad wasn't someone who, like, was – I don't think he would consider himself particularly creative. Um, my mum definitely was and found every single little outlet that she could – um, which wasn't very there, – there, were, there weren't very many opportunities for her to be creative. Um, so, like, yeah, she found sort of, like, sneaky ways in her life, like helping us with our homework or, like, if, if we had, like, a birthday coming up, like finding ways to be creative around that. Mm. And so, like, I, I think in my family creativity wasn't really seen as, like, a life goal but just something that you sort of did for fun mm. sometimes. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I think most of my creativity has come, I've sort of allowed myself to be more creative later in, later in life, making me sound like I'm very old, but like, yeah, more in my adult life. Um, but more in, in terms of like writing and poetry and storytelling and that, that kind of thing. Mm. I, I wouldn't say that. I'm a particularly skilled visual artist in any <laughs> way, shape, or form. Um, I mean, I love it. Um, and yeah. I think that's the same thing as you were saying, that, like, every child is an artist, and I think that within everyone there's that sort of, like... It's the imagination. Yeah, 100%. And also the need to create yeah. as well. Mm. I've run a bunch of workshops with kids, and, like, their imagination blows me out of the water. Mm. Just because whatever they do... Like whatever they put on paper or they come up with comes from a place of imagination because mm. they can't relate it to anything yet because they haven't learnt about things. So 
that's like the beauty of it is mm. you know whatever they're thinking is it's just manifesting in their brain like mm. which is incredible yeah. to think about and then we slowly dilute that and mm. kill it over the years mm. Mm. which is depressing <laughs> And on that note, um, with me on the couch today um, are two artists that collaborated on a show um, recently, Birds of a Feather at Mercury Plaza. Um, we've got Hazza. That's how you say it, right? Yeah, you're the first person to get it right. Thank you. Silas taught me. Um, <laughs> AKA Cairo. Yeah. Um, and we also have Manua Tapu, AKA Tristan. <laughs> I'm going to be referring to them. By their first names. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm really excited about this show. Um, mostly because I have so many questions about how you sort of came to work together and how you came to the idea of it. Um, so I guess the first question is, what is the show about? Birds of a Feather. You want to answer it? Yeah, well, I guess um, I guess for for both of us, both of us uh, b- began working on a on a different series each um, using 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 birds and and patterns to create to create paintings. Mm. Um, and so I think for each of us, the work that we're producing is about something different. Mm. Um, but Kaido was actually the one who who coined the the name for the show. Mm. Um, because because I originally sort of suggested the the name of my series and obviously he didn't feel like he related mm. to that. Um, mm. So I think his idea was more about uh, more about us us joining joining what we were doing mm. um, under the same under the same sort of umbrella. Mm. You can probably elaborate more on yeah. that. Yeah. Um, well, was what was yours? You went to call it Lovebirds. Yeah. Um, which I think is a good show, well, a good name for a show, and mm. really really. Um, you know, it goes well with your work. But I just, every time I would say it, I didn't feel like it worked with my works. Mm. Yeah, so I just asked, well, he said, do you want to come up with a different name? <laughs> so I just spent the weekend looking at like um, just bird quotes <laughs> and anything like related to birds that I could maybe yeah. somehow like tie into it. Mm. And then, yeah, I just came across the birds of feathers flock together mm. uh, and then sort of read out what it meant. And it was exactly that. It was just common interest. Mm. Mm. Um, so... This whole show in general has like been a really unorthodox um, show, but everything just happened to align great. Mm, um, mm. The fact that we're both working on this body of works around the same time, the fact that we both work in the same space, um, and although the context of our works is different, which is probably like good anyway, um, I think it just it just made for a good show. Mm. Um, and I think we're both at a time where we had time to do a show Mm. Um, and then yeah conveniently the show is in our working space Mm. so it just made sense Mm. it would um, the way it all came together it would it probably would it was a good chance to capitalize on that Mm. Mm. sounds like like a very organic way for things to come together though yeah and that's the best way I think Mm. yeah Um, how long have you both been working in the space where you're working now uh i moved in there when i got back from the uk last year in july i think Mm -hmm. um yeah 
and Tristan's been there a lot longer. Been there for almost six years. Wow. So I started my I started my apprenticeship, uh, my tattoo apprenticeship under under Tom McMillan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Five, shout out Tom McMillan. Shout out Tom McMillan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good boss. Yeah. Um, yeah. Five five and a half years ago. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. So you've been working in that space since then. Yes. Okay. Um, but you don't only do tattoo art. You do different types of art, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So so um, so so most 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 of the of the tattooing I do is is, is tamoko. Mm. And before that, I'd, I'd, I'd studied a little bit of, of visual arts. And before that, I spent three years um, down Rotorua studying um, uh, Fakairo Rako, mm. which is traditional Māori carving. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And what what drew you to that? Uh, originally through, um, through at the end of high school, doing a unit in, in music class on Taonga Puru, which is like traditional Māori instruments. Wow. Um, so it's pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty different. But yeah. I, I sort of had no idea that that any of any, any of it really existed. And so I was buying books and and trying to find out as much as I could, and mm. started making these little flutes and stuff out of out of bamboo. Mm-hmm. And I just completely lost interest in high school about halfway through the year, mm. and found out where I could learn how to carve. Wow. Um, yeah. Incredible. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Wow. Um, so that was three three years learning how to, three years learning how to carve. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And during that time, I completely lost interest in. Well, I didn't didn't completely lose interest in, in uh, Taungapuru, but I mm. sort of realised that learning how to carve was about something much bigger than mm. me having my little music obsession. Mm. You know, it was about something. Um, it was about being able to connect with my my iwi and do do work for them, mm. um, and mm. be able to sort of learn something that I can pass on to another generation eventually. Mm. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. So, um, who were you living? Were you living with family down there, or is is that? Like no, I'm not from. I'm not from. Not from there. I'm yeah. from. I'm from Mitsumiti in the Hokianga. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was staying at first. I was staying in a, at a, a friend's, a really good high school friend, and his family house down there. Mm-hmm. And then I just started living with friends from the carving school. Incredible. Mm. That's great. Um, what is is the what's the school what is the school down there? Like I know nothing about carving schools. Uh, I've, I'm yeah. like complete ignorance. Uh, so, of so where, where I studied was the New Zealand Māori Arts and Crafts Institute, which is um, which is at Tepuya, which is a big big tourist attraction. There's like a geothermal valley. Mm. There's a there's a marae. They, they have a whole lot of different things going on, as well as the as well as the institute, which has a mm. um, then it had a. a a wood carving school, a ponam mm. and bone carving school, and a weaving school, mm. and so they're offering different courses there. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Now they have a, a bronze casting. Briefly, they had a, a tamoko school that they were trying to start up as well. Mm-hmm. So they've got a whole lot of stuff there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, incredible. Mm. Um, I'm sorry, I'm deep diving into your life story here, <laughs> but what made you decide to come back to Auckland then? Uh, because I grew up in Auckland mm. and so all my family and friends were there mm-hmm. um, I wanted to I wanted to sort of continue my journey by studying visual arts mm-hmm. so I just moved straight back and went straight to AUT mm-hmm. did a year there um, did a bit of carving at the same time mm. and then didn't quite feel like I was getting enough out of it or what I wanted to get out of it so I, I didn't plan to go back mm-hmm. and then Tom messaged me and asked if I wanted to Wow, incredible! He he reached out to you. So we're, yeah, I've known him my whole life. Oh, so okay. He's, yeah, he's he's older than me, but he's we're, our families are friends. Oh, okay. So I think cool. he'd seen maybe seen a bit of my 
photos I was posting on Facebook or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I had reached out to him in the past just to ask him about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. Incredible. It's an incredible path to get to get to like where you are. It's very interesting. Um, what was your path? We talked a little bit about you feeling like you were good at art at high school, um, but not knowing if you were good at art, how did that transpire into then you doing art as your full-time gig? <laughs> uh, no, I did art my whole life. And then when I was 11, wait, yeah, 11, uh, I was introduced to graffiti mm. and that's been the platform for my art ever since. It was like, I think I always knew I could do art and that I would probably be interested in art because my dad was an artist. Mm. But um, graffiti was the only thing that resonated with me, I think just the lifestyle of it, of the slightly like rebellious acts um, going out at night time. And that has sort of just continued to grow ever since. Mm. Um, so through graffiti, it allowed me to like continue to engage in art. And mm. then in... 2009, I went back to uni and um, did a degree in design. Oh, yeah, a Bachelor of Design and Arts, majoring in graphic design. Mm-hmm. Um, and I only did that because I wanted a degree in something just to have some kind of certificate that I could hang Which up at my parents' house. Seems to often be the case, yeah. right? <laughs> um, and then just through doing that, I kind of met people, hung around with people. Um, excuse me. Uh, and then kind of got scouted by Burgerfield mm-hmm. uh, to go work at their head office just mm-hmm. as a junior designer. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, over seven years, worked my way up to lead designer mm-hmm. uh, and then left there to go move to the UK to be a full-time artist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What kind of work did you do in the UK? Uh, just the same work that I'm doing now. It was kind of just allowed me to um, do it full-time, just mm-hmm. to, uh, a lot of graffiti uh, and then murals um, and studio work. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and so um, the work that you get is obviously all on a freelance basis. Yeah. Um, wh- how how do people contact you or know about you? Like, what what's the sort of I don't know. This is I'm I'm trying to come from like a, a, a I'm trying to come from a complete ignorance sort of standpoint. But like, I think a lot of people think about the life of an artist, and they're like, how do they? Make money. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Um, I'm lucky that I've got some really good people that have looked after me mm. over the years. Uh, one of those is Burger Fuel. So mm. they've really like looked after my art career. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of fed me and fed me financially as well. <laughs> um, and then there's a couple other local brands in New Zealand that have gone behind me and just whenever I need money, they come up with work for me to do for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, it's... It's all word of mouth. I try not to pitch myself too much um, mm. only because you kind of get flooded with work that you continue to have to say no to. Mm. So I'm very picky about the work that I do. Mm. Um, and as we discussed before, we're like quite yes people. So yeah. I find it hard to say no to people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fortunately, I just have a steady stream of work that is through word of mouth. Mm. Um, but I say no more than I say yes now. Mm. Uh mostly because I try and spend all my time just doing studio work. Mm. So I'll take on maybe like a few big jobs, uh, particularly mural jobs, or like if I really, really need the money, I'll do some design work. Mm. Um, And then that keeps me afloat for a few months. And Mm. then I just full-time studio work. Mm. 
incredible. Mm. So you just have to offset all those um, costs like somewhere and figure out how you're going to survive as opposed to week to week. Mm. It becomes one day to the other day or one month to the next month Mm. um, Mm. and you just kind of make it work. Mm. But it's a lot better than a nine-to-five system that I used to do. Mm. Although I have a very nine-to-five system with my studio work, um, but I can still change things and make everything suit my needs. Mm. Mm. We were talking earlier about um, that sort of concept of time and how an artist's concept of time is different um, to maybe a nine-to-five workers' concept of time. Um, Tristan, how how do you cope with that? Because, I mean, your tattoo work still sort of like somewhat fits into a nine-to-five schedule. It does, yeah. And <laughs> even, even, even last year I was literally tattooing from nine-to-five. Mm, um, mm. So... Yeah, I mean, I still have my I have my mornings where I can do some exercise, mm. have breakfast, and then do all my drawing, mm. and that's sort of the that's sort of I guess the the main creative part of my day where mm. I'm, I'm I'm working on ideas that I've thought about since since the evening overnight, mm. Mm. Um, and then the actual the tattooing part is it's 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 like me directing my energy, but it's 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 focused and it's kind of. It's kind of it's it's manual, you know. Like it's all mm. I've I've drawn or already drawn what I'm going to do or thought about it. So I'm just sitting there and and actually executing it. Mm. Um, yeah. What about because um, I mean, like the art that you were both doing for this show um, is not something to do with like, for example, for you, it's not something that you were going to tattoo, and this wasn't something that you were for you. Cairo, it's not something you were planning on like selling. I don't know. I, I no, well, I think that's what's the beauty of this is, is that we both just basically started working on this body of works mm. that was very similar. Mm. Um, I was actually working on a painting one day, and Tristan came in because I put like a little snippet of it on my um, on my Instagram, and he was like, oh, "I just wanted to come and see what you're doing," which is this like bird series that I started working on, mm. and then yeah, I like it just kind of. From there, we realized that we're both working on the series of birds. Mm. Um, but, yes, yeah, so I was kind of forgetting mm. where that conversation was going. <laughs> I think I think the um, question that I'm asking is more just like that, that art is outside of um, the frame of, uh, I guess, com- any sort of like commissioned work that you'd be working on. Mm. Yeah. So like... W- do you specifically set time aside for that? Be like, I need to work on this now, or like how? I think how it's you... important. Um, I mean, someone like Tristan, whose tattoo is his money maker, mm. pretty much. I imagine mm. um, it's still like I guess it becomes a job. Mm. So I'm sure, as much as he loves it, there's passion somewhere else, and these become passion projects, mm. things that we do that aren't influenced by what people want because mm. um, we still have ideas that manifest mm. into something that mm. is purely on our own terms mm. Mm. and this is kind of what this body of work is. Mm. And that's something I realised when I left Burgerfield. I was like a very confused artist after I left um, and I kind of broke my art practice into three categories which was um, professional, personal and passionate. Ooh. And um, and it just meant that I could put on a different hat when I'm dealing with different situations. Mm. So 
personal is kind of like the body of works that we've put in the show. Mm. Um, professional is like design work. It allows me to work with clients and mm. allows them to influence the direction of it. Mm-hmm. And then um, passion is for me just graffiti. It's just something I do on my own terms, like mm. with my friends that also isn't dictated by anyone. Mm. Um, but just through that kind of thought process and that system, it allows me to um, to channel like kind of what's going on in my life into different areas of my art practice because mm. they're all so different. Mm. Mm. Do you find that you have a similar um, delineation, Tristan? Yeah, I've, 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 I've never thought about it quite in, in those terms before, but I know that with, with, um, with, with tattooing every mm. day, sometimes it does start to feel like it's, you know, I, I am very passionate about my job, but sometimes you do feel like it's a job and mm. um, it's important, I think, to, to also feel like you're you're being creative all the time and working on new ideas. So that's that's something that I do think about with mm. my work. And I do um, even when I get too busy, I, I, I sort of strive to to put some new new ideas out there to keep me to keep me interested and mm. to keep me to, to make me feel like I'm still progressing in some way, mm. Um, mm. trying new yeah. things out. And I think that um, I was really grateful to be given the opportunity to 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 try and organise this show mm. um, to be able to use the space because I'd been thinking about this idea for a long time and mm. I just started working on, on some concepts for it. Mm. And um, it was cool to, to be able to, to, to set aside time mm. to, to produce the work mm. and mm. to get the ideas moving. So, so the idea when you, once you decided to do the show together, the idea was still quite fresh for you for, for what you were Yes. Thinking of yeah, it was, an, okay. it, was, it was a new. It was well. I guess I'd been thinking about. I'd been thinking about making works mm. like that for probably over a year, mm. and had been sort of too busy with 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 work and personal life to mm. to give it much thought. Mm. Um, mm. But I sort of made a decision to to, to really start trying it, or I'd, I'd tried it a little bit, but never never committed to it. Mm. And once mm. I started working on it, um, the time with the show happened, had a deadline, and then it was like a you know. It was an incentive to to, to, mm. to give it my all. So do you want to talk a little bit more about sort of the concept behind your half of the show? Yeah. yeah. So I guess I guess um, the the Lovebird series that I've been working on is um, it takes inspiration from from quite a lot of things. Mm. Um, in terms of in terms of the bird figures, that's um, that's a little bit to do with my um, to me being inspired by Bill Hammond's paintings. He's mm-hmm. one of my favourite painters mm-hmm. uh, growing up um, and when I became interested in, in art and painting in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it as well, like with the with the zoomorphic figures um, and then going, you know, take, being a bit more abstract with it with, and, and sort of turning it into cool fi-fi paintings mm-hmm. comes from my training at, at the carving school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and using, using, you know, similar motifs like Manaya and... Yeah, it's all it's it's kind of it's I guess it's kind of like an accumulation of everything that I've I've learned through my life coming mm, together. Mm. Um, That's quite hectically personal. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that would have been a very cool opportunity for you to then be like, I can finally put this out into the world. Yeah, it's been very exciting. Yeah, cool. Um, what about your? half of the show it's really easy to be like lovebirds but I don't I don't know how to refer to yours I guess you're Uh, (laughs) they hold a different meaning um Mm. it's interesting though that you mentioned Bill Hammond because 
people keep asking me, they're like, I love the Bill Hammond reference and there's no reference Ooh. there. Um, no one's asked me about that. <laughs> no one's asked me about it. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, I, I can see the resemblance, but there is no reference. Mm. Um, they, But my birds, they serve a purpose and this has only sort of um, manifested itself like in the last year. I did a mural last year where I had to use birds as the subject matter mm-hmm. and um, I I kind of drew them in my own style. And after that mural was done, like a few months later, um, I really liked one of the birds that I did. So I just started drawing it more mm-hmm. and it became like a regular um, motif in my works. Mm. But it didn't really have a purpose or a meaning. I just liked it because it looked cool. Mm. Um, and then the more I started drawing them, um, so I do this practice every day where I make a drawing every day and I date it and title it. Oh, and so the birds started to become more apparent in this series that I'm doing, which mm. I've been doing for like two years now, um, and every time I'd make a bird drawing, I'd give it more meaning. So they developed this um, this story in which they, um, they're like the watchers, so basically ancestors. Mm. And the way I look at birds is they're the closest things to gods on this planet, you know, their ability to fly, their ability to look over us, um, and, you know, this idea that, you know, maybe when we pass away we just, continue to look over people in Mm. in a non-spiritual way, but kind of spiritual way. Mm. We sort of just Mm, mm, move mm. into another life. Mm. Um, And so when that story became apparent in these birds, I started to like really dive deeper into that story. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that's where the birds come from in my work. That's Um, incredible. And, yeah, and they're sort of painted. uh, They come from the same way I sort of use like graffiti methods to paint. Mm. Um, So they're illustrated in that same manner. Mm. Um, and then just trying to tell stories about my ancestors and the way they watch over me and the way I might watch over people when I pass on. Mm, mm. Which is such a long-standing way of connecting with art um, as a way to connect with our ancestors and also tell stories yeah. for them. Well, I mean our whole history is based on storytelling. Yeah. And um, I think one thing I realized in the last few years is that my storytelling abilities outweighed my artistic abilities. So I've really started to use story as my art form and my artistic abilities as just the way to execute those stories. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I think since, especially since coming home from the UK last year and every time I go back to where I'm from, like there's just this sudden overwhelming sensation every time I drive into, you know, every time I see my mong and I realise I'm almost home, that mm. I, I'm part of a bigger picture. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a practice that's only really started growing inside me in like the last year or two. Mm. Um, but I'm just letting it do its own thing. It's a very intuitive process. And, um, yeah, it also involves me going home a lot and talking to my nana and finding more about who we are and where we came from. Mm. So... Yeah, I've never had the context part of my art practice before. It's always been a, I can make something look like something. Mm. Um, so, yeah, once I got rid of that and started feeling like I'm telling my own stories, it's mm. it's been a very rewarding art process. Mm. Mm. Was the going back home and talking to people like your nana about the stories part of the process for, for this? Um, yeah. It just gives me more, um, it just reinforces what I'm trying to say, I think, mm. you know, and I can stand by it because it's part of me. Mm. Um, 
And maybe it was like maybe when I was overseas, you know, being away from home, you start to think about home. Mm. So, yeah, it's a very organic process, but it's come very naturally. Mm, 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 mm. It seems like that's something that's a, somewhat similar across your artworks that you've, within this one, really, within the works you've produced with this show, really found an opportunity to sort of like tell your story, albeit they're like quite different stories. It's been like a chance for you to, to tell that story. Um, but Tristan, did you sort of come to it from a conceptual side as well? Like, were you like, I want to tell my story through this or was it just once you started piecing things together, you were like, oh, wow. Um, I guess, I guess the way it came together was, was pretty, was pretty organic, Mm. but I, 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 I think of anything, um, I'm sort of, I'm sort of with my work in general, more interested in, in. I'm I'm interested in, in, in sort of ideas around religion mm. and um and things like things like with this with this with this series um about being about being about about uh love and, and sex and sexuality. It's mm. it's sort of um I'm thinking about I'm thinking about how how so much we get told to sort of cover up cover up so much, you know, mm. like not not talk about it. Um you know, yeah, and, and hide it and be sort of and sort of censor everything, yeah. Um, and I think that that sort of permeates into a lot of different areas of culture. And when I think about, um, when I think about Maori culture and like even like being on Marae, um, and this goes with this this goes with 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 Maori culture and and uh, Christianity. I think, okay, you know, like dress codes, what you're allowed mm. to wear, how you're allowed to behave, and mm. it's and I, and I think all these things that we get told are. <clears throat> Uh, Maori values mm. are in fact Christian values that have been have been have been um, put on Maori from from you know for two hundred years. Mm. So mm, it's mm, yeah, mm. a sort of unpacking of of what rituals and um, rules are ones that have been enforced and which ones mm. have developed naturally over time. Yeah, mm. yeah. Interesting. That's yeah. Was that something that you were that you were thinking about when you came up with the idea for the works, or was it more just that you started creating and then you're like, oh, I can see that coming through. I guess yeah, maybe 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 a bit of both. I mm. think I think the I think the religion thing has been something that's that I've thought about for a long time. Mm. Maybe not so much the the sexuality thing, but definitely mm. definitely a little bit. Mm. Um, just from just from people people telling me stories mm. about getting told off or for wearing a skirt that's too high or mm. for wearing a top that's revealing a bit of cleavage, even in a classroom, it's mm. just like, yeah, where, you know, where's this coming from? Yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hard, yeah, for sure. I think I think it's very interesting the way that um, Western societies see themselves as like all about like progress and stuff. Yeah, but. Um, in general, a very sort of like, I'm going to use a Swiss word here, but like very verklempt, like very jammed up and like mm. obsessed with sort of, yeah, controlling people's, what is in the end a form of expression. Mm. Um, yeah, which is obviously art is the best way to <laughs> approach that topic being like, fuck you. I'm going to express myself however I want. Mm. <laughs> I, think I really like when I was looking at the works, um, Tristan's works, you don't see them as um, 
man woman mm. like they're male or female but you eliminate like the man woman feature so it becomes a lot more like intimate mm. um you know you, you're not like looking at a guy and being like you know asserting all these things you know about um let's say if it was a maori person mm. everything you know about a maori person mm. you don't put that thought into these works you just see male female mm. um and it's the same way i think they do it like with cartoons you know you can talk about different races mm. with particular cartoon characters mm. and do it in like a very smart way mm. um, so that's what mm. i think is like really good that's what i enjoyed about um his works was when i looked at it as provocative as they were and they were certainly a point of conversation on the evening mm. um I didn't see it as anything like pornographic or anything like that. I just saw that intimacy between mm. male, female, mm. and basically, mm. you know, our ability to exist mm. since Which is day human. one. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, a, a part of our process that is is like taboo to talk about. Mm. Um, mm. So, and it's interesting that you mentioned that you don't see the the masculine and feminine aspects of it as well, because gender is another thing, which is like such a western construct like what that even like looks like yeah. is is very much like a christian ordained sort of like grouping um, yeah because christians christian <laughs> society is obsessed with grouping people <laughs> um but yeah sorry um i'm actually also interested in what kind of comments you got for those artworks on the night what sort of what thing what things people were saying about because you said they were a bit provocative on the night. Uh, oh, you could just—I mean, there was one of Tristan's work that was two male characters that I could just keep hearing people be like, "Oh, that you know, look at the two guys over there." Mm. But even then, I thought it was like it allowed people to talk about it mm, because true. you would—you never really would to genuinely talk about these things so openly. It's mm. like a, a enclosed conversation. Mm. Um, and I think it was good that it just brought that conversation to light that people could feel comfortable with it because they weren't asserting their own values of um, man and woman, but male and female. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting take. What did you think of Kaido's work when you saw it the first I time? I was super, super impressed. I mean, especially by the... <laughs> Especially by the scale of it, you know, mm. I can really when you walk it when you walk in there and you and you feel like you feel you're under you're underneath the birds, you know, mm. they're over over your over your eye level, mm. um, and I think in that way they're sort of they're slightly they are um, a little you know slightly monumental. Mm. Um, they feel like they feel like uh, there could be a tree or you know mm. something ancient, something something you can kind of walk between, but always underneath. Mm. Yeah. And and especially all all sort of set out in the room, almost like almost like they would be um, popo in a in a in a meeting house. Mm. So they 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 do they sort of as figures they command respect. Mm. Yeah, I think my biggest uh, I don't know. I definitely got inspired when I came home. Um, I made a few trips down south, and they've got the new highway that cuts out Huntley mm-hmm. for Huntley. Um, but they've, <laughs> they've um, obviously commissioned like a whole bunch of Māori um, art on that highway. Mm. And I think that's how I felt when I drove past some of those um, 
those uh, white those white ones, the tickle tickle. On, yeah, on the side of the motor. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Um, yeah, I've, and, I've seen those. And you know, as well. and like yeah. they look like they're watching over you. Mm. And then it, it reminded me of like some of the movies I used to watch, like the cowboys and Indian movies. And there was always the cow, uh, the Indians up on the mountain that mm. watched over their land. Mm. You know, on the horses, and mm. they just had mm. that presence of like mm. we watch over this land. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's how I felt whenever I saw them, and I was like, it felt really powerful to me. So there's all these like. Um, events that are happening or that have happened in, in recent that have really just intuitively made their way into my work mm. um, and I've just sort of managed to package it up into these paintings. Mm. Um, mm. But, yeah, and although like, it was a very quick show to pull together, um, mm. it was three weeks, maybe four, but it's like about a year's worth of drawing the subject but then also a lifetime of experience. So, mm. Um yeah, because I just had a friend who was like, oh, man, you know, and you just like pump these out really quick. And I did, but all the the meaning behind them has is, is been in the making for a long time. Yeah, it's always been growing. Yeah. Even from before you were born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's what I like. Yeah. I like being able to draw on these things and um, and sit down with other artists and or not even artists, just other people and hear about their story in life because everyone's got like a story, you know, mm. and whether it's a good one or a bad one, it's mm. still a story, like they still mm. existed. Um, and, you know, makes for a very interesting conversation and, and um, can be really inspiring sometimes. Mm, mm, mm. Absolutely. What's going to happen to the artworks after the show closes? Uh, <laughs> my particular artworks will get rolled up and probably won't be seen again. Um I decided last year um, we we had a show at the Mercury Plaza, it was a drawing show, mm -hmm. and I reluctantly put a work in um, and it sold, uh, which was awesome. But then when it left the gallery, I felt really uncomfortable. Um, and this body of work that I've been working on, uh, not just the birds, but there's a, it's a bigger part of a bigger series, um, is like really personal to me. Mm. So, you know, like I said, I try and tell stories through my work, but mm. all these stories are my stories mm. or stories that I've inherited. Um, and when it left, I felt like really uncomfortable because that painting wasn't made to be in someone else's house. Mm. It came from my head onto paper and mm. I didn't really think about it. Mm. So um, I decided I didn't want to sell original artwork anymore, mm. but I still want to make it because it's part of my process. Mm. Mm. Um so that show came with one screen print, which is an edition of 20, which will still be available. Mm -hmm. uh, but all the work itself will be documented um, and then probably shelved mm. for the mm. rest of my life. Mm. 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 But it's, it's, yeah, it's completely changed the narrative of um, my process because I no longer make work with the intent to sell, which plays a small part in the direction of your work when you're making it, like whether or not someone would want to buy this mm. um, so by removing that part of the equation um, mm. it's made very honest works that allowed me to be um, you know like vulnerable and honest within the series which is for the most part of my life been a very hard thing to do yeah what do you think it's been a hard thing for you to do to be honest in your works uh, one because I'm almost a six foot mouldy male um, I come from a background of um, graffiti, poverty maybe even. So you have to be like strong to survive. Um, mm. So it's built up this like really 
callous-like ego inside of me that has to be strong at every interaction in my life. Mm. Um, so it makes it really difficult to talk about anything that is considered like vulnerable. Mm. Um, so just over the years, I've started like breaking down those barriers mm. and it's really just, I'm just like letting it all come out now, mm. which I think is why this last few years has been like a really rewarding mm. uh, time for my art practice, mm. even just my life practice. Mm. 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 And also such a valuable thing because you were talking about how um, your art and your storytelling as well as honouring your ancestors as a way to sort of like tell stories for the future as well mm. and that whole idea of like being able to open yourself up and be vulnerable is such a valuable thing to be able to pass on to future generations as well especially young men young Māori men in our yeah. country being able to be like we just have to look at the product of how we got it wrong mm. um, to see how we need to do it right, mm. you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah. It's been a hell of a journey, but a rewarding journey. Mm. Mm. For sure. Mm. What about your works? Were they, were they off there? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm having so much fun with this series that I, that I think I'm, I'm just keen to keep, keep, keep trying, keep trying oh, cool. new ideas. Um, until I'm until I'm until I'm satisfied, I guess. Mm. Um, mm. I'm I'm I have a um, I sell sell some prints through the Poi Room. Nice. Um, they've been really good supporters of my mm -hmm. work, so I'll probably send this new series to them, mm -hmm. and that sort of gives me sort of like another another avenue. Yeah. And then um, just I just want to make more probably probably make less digital work and more more paintings mm. um it was really really nice actually just putting some time aside and and just putting the you know just just dedicating time to painting because i find it really um meditative mm. and relaxing mm. um, yeah it's a completely different process to to tattooing where you're uh, there's a lot of pressure mm. to not make any mistakes to get it right yeah to make sure that you've got the um you know you know and and and, and you're dealing with another person's energy as well. Mm. So you're putting, you're putting energy into them. You're getting energy from them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's hectic for me to even think about you tattooing every day. But <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because I, I imagine that um, I don't actually know this. So this is completely my presumption, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine that traditionally with tattooing, someone who did tamoko would not be tattooing lots of people every day. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, I think, I think it would depend because I think, I think, um, I think, uh, Kaita would go, would, would, would travel around or people oh, okay. would travel to them and they'd, and they'd get, they'd get tattooed in, in groups. Oh, okay, so for yeah. example, they might get, they might get, they might travel to, to, um, to an iwi and that all the women who are going to receive their kowai would would, would, would would come forward with their with their koha and the mm. kaita would, would, would do all of them at the same time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So But who knows how who knows how busy they were. Mm, I guess it would depend mm. on yeah. It wouldn't it wouldn't be like wouldn't be like it is today though. You would be booked yeah. out months in advance. You be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you might take you a month to walk to the yeah. next place. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like a lot of reflection time. Mm. Mm. It, yeah, it can be exhausting sometimes, um, um, but very rewarding at the same time. Mm. Mm. Do you 
tattoo tamoko using traditional methods as well? I haven't. You haven't? Never have. Would love to would love to learn more about mm-hmm. it. Mm. Um, I do have a friend who does it. Um, and yeah, I think it's just a matter of, of spending time with those people and just you know, learning. Learning. Mm. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Yeah. <sighs> Man. Yeah, no, I'm still thinking about tattooing every day and it's exhausting just thinking about it. <laughs> um, I have a few mates that tattoo and it seems like there's a lot of work that goes into um, setting boundaries that also just, yeah, protect your emotional energy and um, make sure that you don't sort of burn out mm. um, yeah, and it can can happen sometimes. You have a, sometimes have you every now and then you have a bad experience that that shocks you mm. um, a lot and makes you really unhappy. Mm. And you just every every time something happens, you've got to learn how to. You just it's like any negative experience. You just learn how to protect yourself next time. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, what, setting setting boundaries is is really important. What kind of boundaries have you set for yourself in your practice? Saying no to people, mm. not stepping not stepping outside of my comfort zone. Mm. Um, what what does what does that mean in in terms of like what what kinds of things would you not feel comfortable doing that sounds like a very Um, personal question but um I imagine it's also got to do with like workload as well yeah workload but then also also like the aspects of design that might go into into Mm. a piece um Mm. someone wants something and you've got to learn or they want it to look a certain way and Mm. if it's something that's not my it's not what I know how to do if Mm. if I don't know how to do it Mm. or I'm not comfortable with doing it for whatever mm. reason, um, I just say no. Mm. And mm. if they still want to get tattooed, then generally we'll both be happier with the result. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I think, um, I think there's an interesting misconception, like generally speaking, around tattoo artists that like you can just go to them and be like, I want this. And then. <laughs> I think in some I think in some cases it's it's true. Some some people will just do whatever, mm. and some people are really good at doing that as well. Mm, true, like fully yeah. custom tattooing. Mm, um, mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. I I guess so, but I think. But it's not for everyone. Yeah, I think by and large, tattoo artists tend to be artists first. I'm going to say that controversially. <laughs> well, I think I think with I think with social media, people people can afford to be now. Mm. There's a lot of there's a lot of competition. Um, mm. There's a lot of there are a lot of very good tattooers out there, mm. um, and people are are able to are able to sort of hone in on a specific style, get really good at it, and people mm. come to them for mm. that. Mm. Um, on the other hand, you know when there were when there were less when there were less maybe when there were less tattooers and it was more of an mm. underground thing, mm. um, you would just have to be taking whatever comes in the door and doing it. That's true. That's true. And doing it well. Was ta- was tattoo something that you were always sort of interested in doing? Because I mean, carving and tattooing are like obviously very close cousins. Yeah, <laughs> um, not before not before I started learning how to carve mm. and before I started getting tattooed. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. Did you? Was that around the same time? Did you start getting tattooed? Around the time when you I, yeah I started start. get, I started getting tattooed when I was at the carving school oh, okay so I had yep. another friend there who was who was doing um, tamoko before right. he came to carving school and mm-hmm. he started he did a few of the boys and I just jumping on in, in there you know mm-hmm. um, and 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 sort of kind of opened my eyes to that to that world and mm. 
started asking questions and and mm. drawing. Mm. Yeah. So what drew you to it? Um, what aspects of it drew you to it? I think um, I think at first I think at first it was it was the similarity of of the designs, mm. um, and also just just being it being amazing this 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 living art you know like being able to tell a story in in a similar way to carving but actually putting it on your skin and being mm. able to wear it and you know I th- I, th- I think that was that was amazing mm. yeah yeah interesting that you bring up the storytelling again <laughs> yeah so for me that's 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 that world that I operate in is 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 the storytelling through through tamoko through carving mm. um and then and painting still telling stories but it's not it's not as for me it's not quite as serious yeah or or, or deep or heavy and that, I, don't, I don't really want passion it. side yeah as to the personal side. exactly yeah mm. Mm. yeah mm. and then what drew you to painting i would always i'd always love painting right yeah. yeah it's just something you've always done yeah you always feel comfortable in yeah mm. 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 um I'm going to go back to you very quickly, Kyra. Um, we spoke very quickly about um, the fact that you were drawn to graffiti at a young age. And you mentioned how part of it was the sort of like freedom that it gave you. What else drew, drew you to graffiti? Um, I think just everything that came with it. Uh, I certainly had a lot of energy when I was a kid. Mm. Um, I like the illegal side of it. Well, I just like writing my name on stuff because yeah. it and everything that came with it. Um, mm. Kind of like really got into shoplifting. Mm. Um, mm. So having to steal all of my materials. Mm. Um, and that became a culture in itself. Mm. Um, and then all of that was at that point was just being a tagger. You mm. know, the the thing that everyone hates, mm. like that's what I love the most. Mm. Um, and then I just kind of got good at the more mural side of graffiti mm. um, and that kind of opened up more doors mm. and closed some of the other doors. Mm. Um, yeah, and it just sort of introduced me to a community that I don't think I would have ever engaged with outside mm. of graffiti because mm. um, there's no like there's no stereotype for graffiti. I mean, society puts a stereotype on a graffiti artist, yeah. but there is none. You can be into rap, rock, emo, love songs to midnight, any <laughs> kind of race. And um, even just through that, like it means every time I go to a different country and I meet up with local artists there, they kind of give me their experience of life in Indonesia or Malaysia or just anywhere else in the world. Yeah. And um it's just like this epic community um, mm. and network system mm. of like-minded artists that mm. um, has just continued to like grow mm. throughout my life, um, mm. created amazing friends. Most of my friends are graffiti artists, mm. um, whether they still continue to practice it or, you know, whether they've gone on, like that's kind of where that friendship mm. has stemmed from. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, just through that, like every time I want to, I've tried many different mediums in my life, mm. uh, whether it's sort of fine art painting, photography, illustrating, design, um, all fields of art. Um, but graffiti is like the one thing that I come back to um, just because I enjoy it. And I think, I think I'm good at it. Like n- not in a bragging way, but I like to think that <laughs> it's something that I'm good at, which yeah. um, 
it's such a small community on a, on a global scale. Yeah. So, you know, there's like a level of importance. Uh, I, I feel important in this community. Yeah. Um, so I think that part I like about it as well. Mm. Um, mm. But, yeah, it's just fun. Yeah. And it's it's something that is uh, I have with a bunch of my friends that we do and it kind of exceeds outside of my normal life. Yeah. Um, I think, Although it's become most of my life. <laughs> but I think it's interesting that you say that it's sort of outside of your normal life as well um, because there's something, um, I guess, very radical in this idea, like, because you, you were saying, like, stealing the supplies and then also the fact that graffiti is, like, tagging is technically illegal. Mm. It's basically just saying, like, you can't keep, that away from us like you can't you can't put up the wall of like having to pay for our equipment like no that is our right to be able to do that so it's like it's very much breaking down um that kind of like wall that we put up around creativity as well yeah although all the consequences i think are valid consequences and they're there for a reason Mm. um and I'm aware of all of them and I go into every altercation knowing that those are the consequences. Mm, but mm. I think that's why I enjoy it is I brush all those feelings aside mm. and it's like I don't care. Well, I do care if I get arrested, but I'm willing to get arrested yeah. um, just to do something because it makes me happy. Mm. Um, and I don't think it really affects anyone. Um, there's a lot of money in it if you enjoy cleaning graffiti. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah. It has, um, like I said before, it's just become the platform for everything that I do mm. today. And it's kind of uh, like someone mentioned it to me the other day. They um, wouldn't. We did the show because it has kind of gone away from like my, my alter ego. Mm. But um, you know, so they're like, "Why do you not use your real name for your artwork?" And you know, your graffiti remains your graffiti name. Mm. But it's just the fact that. Everything in my life is on the back of graffiti. Like mm. all my most of my friends are made from that mm. uh, that relationship. Mm. Um, so everything about me comes from that side of me, from mm. this alter ego that I created, mm. and um, and it also acts as a facade that if it gets too much, I can just like kill it off and go back to being mm. me. Interesting. Uh, and trying to protect my own like mental identity. Mm. Um, so when I go home at night, I can be me with my family. I don't have to be artist that is yeah. out in the world um so i get to chop and change between like those identities mm. so has a is a yeah is a sort of like protective realm for you to explore that side of you that you can then sort of close off when you're having yeah i think so it's not why i did it in the first place yeah. but it's why i think it remains mm. um and why i haven't gone with using my real name as an mm. artist mm-hmm. um even though all of the stories I tell, you know, particularly in this body of works, come mm. from me as a person before I was a graffiti artist. Mm. But I don't know, probably be confusing as well. Mm. But, mm. but yeah. it, it seems like it's allowed you that space to be vulnerable um, yeah. within that protective realm. And it's I think talk to, um, it allows me to communicate to an audience that also feels the same way. Mm. Um, allows me to talk to um, particularly, and I enjoy talking to Māori and Pacific kids about mm. that vulnerability side. And mm. because, I think, you know, we all 
that's how we start. It just changes when we get to certain um, communities and certain environments. Yeah. Um, so I think if I talk from that perspective, there's more chance that they're going to listen. Mm, true. Mm. Yeah. Manawa tapu. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you use your pseudonym? Um, it's a good question. I guess. Um, I guess because I, I through tattooing, I always had always had one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I used my Instagram handle used to be Dead Meat Tattoo, which is <laughs> sounds pretty silly now, but it's <laughs> but it, it, it's, it was it was it? it's just it was, it was what I used back then. Um, and I think from 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 tattooing, it, it came from um, from not wanting to have my personal name be associated with with a business right practice necessarily, right. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also which is good for a, a number of reasons. Mm. Um, um, I don't think, I don't think I wanted, I would want to be too personal mm. sometimes with, 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 with work. You yeah. know, I think it's good to, I think it's good to have, have a bit of a separation there. There's a boundary. Mm. There's a boundary. Mm. Um, also good for, um, for traveling, um, and not getting caught for going overseas <laughs> and working illegally, mm. um, mm-hmm, which, mm-hmm. which I just not, not really interested in doing what I have, I have, I have done in the past. Yeah. I mean, um, that's kind of. I feel like quite often as an artist, I imagine that's kind of what you have to do because if you're traveling, you're often working. And Especially if you're in demand. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think, so I think Manawatapu came, came, came about when I, when I saw my, my, my work heading in a, in a almost exclusively um, in, a, in the direction of, of just doing Tamoko. Mm. And I thought it's probably not appropriate to have Dead Meat Tattoo as the, <laughs> as the name for that that I go under. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Manawatapu just means sacred heart. Yeah. So that kind of comes into my my interest with with religion. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much as simple as that. And I think it's just it's dark and I, I like it. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> that all is all very logical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually didn't ask you, um, Cairo, where has a the the name comes from? Like, how did you? Come up with that. Um, well, the urban myth is. Um, I'm settling in. I love an urban myth. <laughs> well, this is just the story of how it came about. Um, <laughs> I had another graffiti tag that I didn't like, and mm-hmm. then my brother was also a tagger, mm-hmm. and we went out one night, and he had a suite of names he used to write, mm. and um, one of them I really liked was Has, mm-hmm. but he wouldn't let me. Well, I asked him if I could use it because I didn't like my tag. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said no. And then I gave him $5. <laughs> and that was where Has was born. And I put the ER on the end because everyone keeps thinking Has was like a graffiti crew every uh, time I put it up. Yeah. Um, so that's where Has was born. ESTB 2002. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, nothing like really important. But mm. um, Has became like a nickname universally, even with um, friends' parents. Mm-hmm. Like I'd go to their houses and their parents would refer to me as has. Oh, and that's when it became a bit weird for me. Yeah. So that's when I started like bringing like, myself as a person back into the picture. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I liked it when I was a youth. Um, but yeah. when I was like 23 years old and my friends' parents were calling me has, mm. it was a bit weird. Mm. Um, even though it was like a nickname, but that nickname was associated to something that I didn't really want them knowing I was into. Yeah. 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 Mm, interesting. Yeah. I 
I can't lie that I didn't know how to pronounce it when I first read it. Well, I think they keep, everyone says Hazer. I don't yeah. know if it's just because it looks like laser. Probably. Um, um, that's probably why I thought yeah. it was Hazer when I first read it. And then yeah. I was, for a quick second, because it, because my other language is Swiss German, I was like, oh my gosh, is it German? Is it Hazard? <laughs> Which means like someone who hunts hares, like like rabbits. And I was like, surely not. <laughs> no. Just a, a made up word. I love it. Yeah. It's great. Um, yeah. It's been me ever since. Nice. Mm. Um, did you two write haiku about each other? Did this morning, yes. <laughs> did you yeah. write a haiku? Yeah, card? last night. Yes. <laughs> very good. Um, shall we share them? Yeah, I have to read it. As short as it is, I still have to make sure that I get it right. Hmm. Might just clarify that you're both looking at your phones. <laughs> yeah, that is the awkward silence going on right <laughs> That now. is the awkward silence, the phone silence. I have had a few people who remembered them off by heart, but I'm just like, what? The stress of going on a podcast and remembering a haiku off by heart? Absolutely not. <laughs> Had a lot of trouble. The syllables got me. Mm. And there's a couple words that like, you know, some words and you're not sure if it's yeah. that the little extra bit of the letter mm. yeah. is, is a syllable. Yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah. worry. Nobody at home is going to be listening and counting the syllables, although they might now that I've mentioned Have you been it, on social but... media? Have you, seen the, <laughs> have you seen the keyboard warriors out there? <laughs> Comment on the podcast. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, do you right. want me to go first? Yeah. Go ahead. Don't sleep on his work. A dedicated craftsman, Manawatapu. Oh, mm, very good. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. <clears throat> Kaido's work is great. Birds and graph make memories. Keep on keeping on. Nice. Oh, keep on keeping on. Love that. Very good. You get snaps as well. There you go. Snaps. Um, so anything to look forward to from either of you that we should keep an eye out for work that's coming up? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> um, we just, me and a bunch of, um, well, my graffiti collective, TMD, we just had a big show in Lower Hut at the Douse Museum oh, in yeah. April. Mm -hmm. um, and that was like a really big show and it kind of like really got the momentum going. Mm -hmm. Hence why I said yes to this show because I felt, like good about making work. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not sure yet, but the momentum is still there and I really, really want to do stuff. And whatever it is will hopefully be bigger. Mm. I'm not going to say better, but just bigger mm. and like more thought out than three weeks, mm. hopefully. <laughs> uh, yeah. But even then, sometimes the best stuff comes like when it's at a snap decision. Mm. Uh, but no, I, I would like to have another... Um, well, a solo show this year mm -hmm. um, and working on some collab projects uh, and then just some things to make money in the background. Cool. Yep. Great. And hopefully travel. Yeah. To Australia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or the Cook Islands, yep. which are opening up now as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about you, Tristan? Um, I just want to keep making, keep keep going with the work. Yeah. Keep, keep trying new ideas and, and, and hopefully have another opportunity to exhibit it mm. Mm. in future. Nice. So both of you are just chasing that excitement yep. at the moment. Yeah. I've had cool. um, 
like low parts in my art practice mm. throughout my life. Mm-hmm. And like it can actually be quite hard to recover from it. Mm. You just feel like super unmotivated. Mm. So turns into a kind of spiral, hey? <laughs> yeah, a lot of self-doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, so while the momentum is good, I'm just trying yeah. to like do a lot. Um, I mean, I make a lot of artwork, but that doesn't get seen. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to just do some like really big things. Cool. Mm. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciated this quarter at all. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Welcome.